Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome to Nightlight. Thank you for sharing your time with us. I know how precious it is, and, and we are so honored that you do spend the time to stay with us and listen to us and share with us. I want to first thank Ken Quiethawk for his, inter- for his intro. Um, you can find him on the Internet. Just Google Native Storytellers or Ken Quiethawk. He and his wife have amazing videos and, and discs that they have done with their Native American stories. And it's important that we pay attention to the way that humanity has recorded its history and its cosmology and its myths. So check it out. They're they're great bedtime stories, far better than Grimm's fairy tales, anyhow. So do check it out. I have an amazing lady with me tonight, and she's written an amazing book. And um, I have Stephanie James with us, and she's written a book, uh, entitled The Spark, Igniting Your Best Life. And in it, she shares current research techniques that help readers gain clarity and understanding that help them easily assimilate and integrate the techniques into their own life. Beginning with an understanding of how our brains and beliefs can keep us stuck in old habits, as well as ways to transform those beliefs. The Spark takes you on a journey through learning how to rewire thoughts and change your inner dialogue. It further explores our deep, hardwired need for connection and how it serves us and how you can spice up your love life and cultivate deeper, more meaningful relationships, something all of us can use and need. Uniquely equipped for times like these, psychotherapist Stephanie brings 30 years of real-world experience, empowerment, and grit to her clients and her audiences. A graduate of the University of Denver, she shares her training and gifts in her inspirational presentations as well as in her dynamic radio show and podcast, The Spark with Stephanie James. In a world desperately in need of love, healing, and a clear path forward, she utilizes her expertise, experience, and amazing interviews with today's luminaries to bring the spark to your life. She ignites her own life by being a leader in a local random acts of kindness group, 
spending time with her two daughters and jumping on the trampoline with her grandsons. You can find her at www.stephaniejames.world. So, without without ado, welcome to the show, Stephanie. So glad you could be with me tonight. So wonderful to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, your book is, I think, very timely because during these times of change and these times of transformation and these times of everybody reinventing themselves, which, which is, I think, what's happening, um, having a guide of, uh, as to how to reprogram everything is a very good idea. Um, in, in my opinion, and when I look at my life, I think every 10 years I have reinvented myself. And, you know, there's a new philosophy, there's a new direction, there's a new kind of work or creativity that I've done. And I'm in my 70s now, late 70s now. Um, <clears throat> and I have found that, that, that it's, it's, it's something that's very important when you come to a time of change to make sure you make change instead of trying to put yourself back into old patterns that don't work. So um, your, your book is so timely and that it helps people to understand that change is good. It doesn't mean you let go of things. It means you hold on to the best and then you work on making the, the, that which isn't quite the best even better. Uh, but first, I think it's important to let people know just what that spark is you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when, when I refer to our spark, to me, it truly is our essence. It's that part of us that no matter what life circumstances happen, no matter what behavior or decisions we've made, it's that essence that is truly us. You know, some people call it the God spark. Some people call it our spirit. It's the part of us that we're way more in tune with when we're children and it's the part of us that, you know, fire can't burn it out, wind can't blow it out, water can't drown it. It is always alive within us. And I think what can happen, you know, unfortunately, is that, you know, life circumstances or traumas that we've been through, they start covering it up. So our work is to excavate that essence that really is the spark that is within us so that we can ignite the things that truly make us feel fulfilled, give our lives meaning and purpose, and help us live with more passion. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, I, I call it the source. It's, you know, it, it's that part of the infinite that, that travels lifetime to lifetime to lifetime. And it, mm-hmm. it burns brightly. It's just a matter of we tend to cover it up with, with uh, dogma and things that, that really, unfortunately, we're taught by parents, by, by teachers, by religions, by all sorts of other things that, that, you know, pour information into us at a very young age. So, so today, there's so many people out there that, that really are at a place of a new beginning, whether they chose it or not, they're at a place of a new beginning. And a lot of these people feel depressed and they feel alone and they feel um, isolate. And, and this is a perfect time for your book. It's a perfect time to help people understand that, that, that basically they really do create their realities by their, their perception of it. 
and and it's hard to pull yourself out of a depression. It's hard to pull yourself out of disappointment. But but we have the capability of doing that. So how how does one start to look for that spark inside of them? Yeah, such a great question because I know that you know we've all been challenged in this last year and and with everything that's gone on with the pandemic and everything else and having life situations that a lot of us never had to deal with, like working from home, people being cooped up together, if you will, um, and not having the same social outlets or being able to see loved ones and then people dealing with illness. So definitely there was, you know, a lot of depression, angst, anxiety, and it's easy to get stuck. And what's, what's interesting is that one of the first things I think that's important in excavating this spark is figuring out first what's getting in the way, you know, because oftentimes we don't even realize that we have these subconscious belief systems, and I call them limiting beliefs, that are keeping uh-huh. us from living our lives in a way that would really serve us. And so an example would be if, if I have a belief that life is really hard because of some situations maybe I experienced as a child or, you know, something happened to me as a young woman and I held on to that belief, then it's like I'm creating that over and over again in my life and I'm wondering why my circumstances aren't changing. Uh But it's like I'm looking at life through that lens. So the very first thing, if we want to clean off our life lens, what we have to do is realize what are those thoughts that are guiding me? What are the limiting beliefs that are negatively impacting my life? And then once we realize what they are, we can change them. And so I always encourage people, one of the ways we can really start excavating this is write down the different areas in your life. So whether it's physical, um, you know, fitness and health, maybe it's finances, money and finances, it's relationship, it's uh, spirituality. And we can look at what are the thoughts then, like if I wanted to live a life where I felt in abundance, what is keeping me from that? And I know there there was this gentleman that um, I had worked with, and when he was looking at his limiting beliefs, he was able to trace them back to a father who had said to him, you know, um, people that are rich are crooks, and people that that are wealthy are unhappy. So he actually had this unconscious program like, gosh, I don't want to be wealthy. That sounds terrible. Oh, gosh. And, <laughs> you know, it, it was like by, by realizing that that was one of the limiting beliefs he had, he was able to change then. You know, the, the second part of this formula I work with people on is not just identifying the limiting beliefs, but going on then to look at, okay, Once I know what my limiting belief is, what do I want to believe instead? And not only that, so if I want to say I live in abundance, then I also am going to follow it up with action steps. So I always have people come up with the affirmation once they identify the limiting belief and then come up with two action steps. So for me in that situation, I would say, you know, I follow a budget and spend wisely. And then I might say, I save X amount of dollars per week or per month. And, you know, 
the, the importance of having those is because what we do is as we say these affirmations, and I have people repeat these out loud every morning to themselves. They could do it every morning and every night if they really want to start, you know, planting these new thoughts and beliefs within them. And what's really interesting is we know within 21 to 30 days, things become a habit. And that's why we have diets and exercise programs that are 21 to 30 days because that's when our brain will really acclimate um, and assimilate that information. It becomes more of a habit. So what's really wonderful is after you're not just doing the affirmation but also feeling in and saying, this is my action plan, there's something called cognitive dissonance that happens which is you start, if you do something, let's say in that example we've been using, and I'm saying every day to myself, I'm abundant, I follow my budget and spend wisely, and I save X amount of dollars, and then I go to make a purchase that I don't really need, or I'm spending more money than my budget allows, I actually get this hit because I've been affirming the opposite that goes like, wait a minute, this doesn't fit. That's the cognitive dissonance. It's like, this, do, this behavior doesn't fit with who I now believe I am. And so we get the pause, which is really powerful because we're no longer acting unconsciously. And the pause says, yeah, I don't think I really want to do that behavior because I am a person of abundance and I am someone who follows the budget and spends wisely. And so it's this beautiful technique of really changing a belief system, changing behavior, and then we start seeing substantial change in our lives. Do, are our limits always of this lifetime, or sometimes do they come from lifetimes past? I imagine they could come from lifetimes past without you know, knowing it. I mean, I, I imagine if you did some regressive therapy or worked uh-huh. with someone who did uh, you know, past life regression, you could have a better idea of what those might be. What, what I found in my work with individuals, with my coaching clients and my therapy clients, um, when we identify first what's limiting us in this life, I think that just really opens up the door for creating the life that you want now. And I'm imagining, like the, with your question, if we want to fine-tune it even more so, that we could work with someone who does the past life regressions and that might help us to even more so. It's, it's almost like I, I always think of myself as like a conduit. Like I want to be as clear of a conduit as possible for uh-huh. what I call the divine. Some people might call the universe or spirit, you know, their higher power. But I want to be as clear of a conduit as possible. So I want to continue to clear out whatever that is whether it's this life, whether it's past life, you know, whatever, if it's emotional, behavioral, mental, I want to continue just to be that clear conduit. So I want to be open to whatever's coming up in this moment and being able to hold that and look at that and not beat myself up for whatever comes up, whether it's a thought or a a feeling that might not feel, you know, we, we have these shadow emotions we don't always love to embrace. Uh, yeah. and, and there's so much wisdom, as you know, as, as we look at that, you know, and we stop and really look at, hey, what's here? What, what do I need to learn from this? And, you know, with, with people today, too, I mean, 
this process is wonderful, and it does work, and the journaling does work. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, I think I think one of the things that 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 gets in the way of the fact that it works is that it's so easy. People think it probably doesn't work, and you do have to commit yourself to a month, two months, three months, whatever, in order to, as you said, rewire our brains because. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's absolutely possible to rewire the brain. There are people that have lost half their brains, and and it is rewired it so that so they still have all of their modalities, so that it, it's it's absolutely possible to change your perspective. And once you change your perspective, um, you're you know you're you're on your way. There's um a commercial on TV. I think it's for an antidepressant actually, where everybody walks around with a smiley face you know, a little paddle. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's what a lot of people are doing today. And if you approach the day, if you approach life in, as, as a whole, as a happy, I, I forget what, 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 um, what practice it was, but, you know, it, it was every day and every way I'm getting better and better. Um, mm-hmm. If you put on a smile every day, if you greet every person you see f- with a friendly face, it c- it starts to come back at you. It's 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 a matter if you put joy and happiness out there, and sometimes even if you don't feel it, because you begin to feel mm-hmm. it once you keep putting it out there, it mm-hmm. it does help to shift and change how other people interact with you. Um, but that's just that's finding where the spark is now. Fanning it into into um, not a blaze. A blaze would be nice, but let's fan it into a little <laughs> bit. You know, you don't want people blazing out all over the place here. But 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 once you have have understood this process, there's still more to it because you know mm-hmm. now you now you've figured out how to rewire yourself and and you you have a different focus on life. But you're still an individual, and how do you spread it? How do you, how do you take this energy and and start to first, you know, attract other people to you that are in the same place, or you know, how do you, how do you make it work so your life becomes richer and happier? Great question. You know, I think one of the things that's important, and and I think you and I have talked about this in some of our other conversations, is that we never get to the point of arrival. You know, I, I have clients that are always <laughs> like, well, when do we get there? You know, it's like there's never this ultimate moment when we are enlightened or we totally evolve and then we have we get to stop trying. You know, this is something that we are <laughs> continually doing, as you and I know, throughout our lifetime. Oh, yeah. Right? So it's, it's yeah, it's something that we just continue to practice. So, one of the things that I think helps to continue to keep, you know, the sparks ignited, what continues to help us light up is having a morning routine. And, you know, I talk about this in my book, the importance of having, I, I call it the bookends to my day. So it's what I do first thing in the morning and what I do last night before I go to bed. And it's for all of us. What we do during those times matter. And one of the reasons uh-huh. is like right when we're waking up and right when we're going to sleep, we're in theta brainwave state. And that's uh-huh. when we're really able to input things. You think about 
our first seven years of life, that's really when we were in the state of brainwave state. And so it's like we were little sponges and whatever people said, you know, what the things we were exposed to, they just really sunk into our subconscious and our perceptions of the world. So what's interesting when we wake up and, and it can be like you said, you hit it on the head, Barb, when you said, you know, this stuff is so simple that sometimes people are like, yeah, that can't work. And once they stick with it, and it really is, it's exactly that. It's showing up day after day, and it doesn't take a long time. I mean, that's what's exciting is, you know, I tell people, start with a 30-day, or excuse me, a 30-minute morning routine where you wake up in the morning, let's say you do 10 minutes of exercise, 10 minutes of meditation, and 10 minutes of writing out your gratitudes, um, you know, you might do the, you know, the mindset we were just talking about where you're doing your affirmations, your action plan. And then you've started the day already primed with this totally different lens you're looking at life through. And so that's one of the ways you can already start. I mean, and when we get in that place of gratitude, we know that's, that's one of the highest vibrating emotions we can have. It's got one of the uh-huh. highest frequencies. They're actually as you know, in, in science, they're able to measure this now. So just, even if, I tell people, even if you wrote down three things, and they could be simplistic. It could be, thank you that I have a warm bed that I just got out of. I'm so thankful that I have clean water to drink. You know, they don't have to be, you know, what we call in my family, the big boom booms. They could be <laughs> these simple little things that we're really thankful for. And so then the flip side of it is at the end of the day, the importance of really putting into our minds, what is it that we want to have marinating in our subconscious for the next seven, eight, nine hours? We don't want to be listening to the news. We don't want to be watching a horror movie or, you know, something. Some people like these crime shows on TV. We need something that is really positive, soothing to our system that really is giving us it's like it's feeding our souls. And Wayne Dyer has a wonderful offering on YouTube, which is like five minutes before you go to sleep. And he, he discusses exactly this. And the thing that I encourage people to do is to find some kind of stationary object. It could be, for me, forever, it was this orange rock that was just smooth and it fit perfectly. It was perfect shape of the palm of my hand that a girlfriend had given me from the creek outside of her home in Arkansas. And she knew it was my favorite color orange. So I would set it at my nightstand and it was just that physical reminder that I wanted to do this every night. And then holding onto that rock for muscle memory and saying, what was the best thing that happened today? And bringing that up in my mind, really closing my eyes, repicturing it, and then the, making it even more powerful, bringing all of my senses into the memory. So what did I see? What did I hear? What did I smell? If there was a taste connected? And, and what was I touching at that moment? So bringing up whatever that moment was, the best part of the day, and this really being powerful for two reasons. Number one, we know that what we focus on expands. And when we hold up something positive in our mind, our mind is going to be more likely the next day to start focusing on noticing more things like that. 
And if you know about the reticular activating system of our brain, that's, that's what it does. It's the part of our brain that notices things. So that if we, let's say, we buy a new car and we're like, I've got the coolest orange car that nobody else has. And then the next day we're seeing that orange car everywhere, you know, in the next couple of weeks. And it's not that there was a sale on those cars. We just start noticing it because that's our experience. And so the same thing is true for us. We want to start programming our mind to notice that which we want to focus on. So it's the positive stuff. Okay, so noticing the best thing that happened today, it's positive for that. And it's also positive because whatever we hold up in our mind, our mind experiences as happening now. We think in pictures. So that's why if I am worried about something in the future, it's not happening now, but physiologically I experience the anxiety. I get the rush of adrenaline and cortisol. Same thing is true if I'm ruminating and and upset about the past. It is not happening in this moment, but I'm experiencing it as happening now when I'm thinking about it. So the lovely, powerful thing is we can also cause ourselves to feel really good by focusing on what we want to think about, what we want to marinate on, and to bring it up and just hold it in awareness. And we'll start having those same chemicals, those same feel-good chemicals being released in our bodies. And so it's like you get to re-experience it again. So it's a double win. I I love that technique. Oh, absolutely. I know. I I recommend that people do the the gratitude journals. Um, I do it a little differently. I, I tell them that before they go to bed at night, they have to write down two things that they're grateful for. And mm-hmm. and here's here's where the difference goes. Um, they can't repeat themselves ever. Oh wow! So that so that so that eventually they get to a place where their higher consciousness, the spirit within starts to give them information about things they're grateful for that they hadn't thought of. They, they literally yeah. begin to have, they run out of, oh, it's a pretty day and I have good friends and, you know, I didn't get COVID and, you know, all of that mm-hmm. stuff. But, but, and I tell them, I said, as long as you keep this gratitude journal, you may not repeat yourself. It wow. forces you to, to find other things that you are grateful for. And you can't go to bed till you have two. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that is so great, Barbara. And, you know, one of the things I do with couples as well when I'm, well, I've done couple therapy is I have them, before they go to bed, tell each other three things unique to that day that they appreciated about each other. Mm-hmm. And, again, this is one of those ways that you want to be focusing on what it is that you want to see more of. And so once you start noticing the things you appreciate about your partner, those things are going to increase. Instead of, you know, we can be with someone for a while and that critical voice and the critic can come out. And I've had so many couples that are like, yeah, I just don't think they even notice these positive things about me anymore. So intentionally focusing on that and it's like, oh my gosh, I appreciated that you warmed up my coffee for me today. Or that Uh was so sweet of you that you tucked that extra snack you know, in in my bag today for work, or thank you for picking up the laundry. I mean, you know, there's all these little things that could be thankful. Thank you for the beautiful hug. Thank you for the sweet smile before we went to bed, you know? 
Oh, absolutely. So those, are, those, are, those are game changers for people. Sure, absolutely. And, and I loved you. You had two things with couples that I just loved. One was um, the art of the apology, which I thought was so mm. important. And, and I think everybody should listen extra carefully to when she goes into this because it is spectacular. And people, if they paid attention to it, it would, it would help relationships become richer instead of, you know, triggering things that are not pleasant. Mm-hmm. So we can go into that. The art of apology, which I do think is, is such a huge part in relationships, and it really is an art because so often our egos get triggered and it's so easy for couples and for all of us um, when we say we're sorry to just want to get out of the situation. We just want it mm-hmm. to be over. So oftentimes people don't give an authentic apology. And so first of all, let's talk about what isn't an authentic apology so then we can really hear it when we hear what an authentic apology is. So oftentimes we hear people in an inauthentic apology, and they might not even realize that they're doing it. They're not trying to be inauthentic. But you, you've heard people, <clears throat> like let's say someone hurt someone's feelings and the partner says, gosh, you really hurt my feelings when you said that. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry your feelings are hurt. Or I'm sorry that hurt you. Uh-huh. Okay, why is that not the best apology? Because the person's not taking any ownership for what happened. They're just putting it back on the person that was hurt. And we also know, you know, people that get defensive right away. Well, well, you said this about me, and, you know, it kind of becomes this back-and-forth thing then where people are just in their egos, and there's no apology there. Well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings, but you hurt mine too, right? <laughs> so whenever we hear the <laughs> but, right, it negates yeah. everything before it. So those are not appropriate apologies. So in the art of apology, what we learn to do is, Here's the thing. You don't have to agree with the person that you've hurt. It's not that you, you know, are having to own everything. What you can do is when someone says, like, let's say, Barb, for example, that you came to me and you said, you know, Stephanie, when you said that thing to me the other day, I really realized it just really hurt me. And so if I'm owning the apology, I say, wow, Barb, I'm, I'm listening to you and I can hear as you're telling me that how those words could have hurt you. And even if I say, you know, oh my gosh, you know, the last thing in the world I'd ever want to do is hurt your feelings and I'm hearing the impact on you and I'm hearing how those words, how they sounded to you and how they came across to you. And so I just really want to apologize for not being, number one, very conscious about the way that I said it. And also, you know, I'm sorry that um, the words that I said, they were hurtful and they landed wrong with you. And I totally get that. And I want to make an effort to do it differently next time. How does that feel different? Big big different. I forgive you. Um. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. No, it it, it yeah. yeah, it 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 makes so much more sense. 
and mm-hmm. and you know sorry just doesn't doesn't you know cut it you know there's there's yeah it's it's an empty word and and it if, if it's just flipped out it means absolutely nothing and it's kind of well i apologize i said i was sorry and you know yeah. you try to go on from that and and if you bring it back to the moment and if you really do go into um you know what's going on um i sometimes try to 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 be in the other person's shoes and feel mm-hmm. what it was like to get that you know aimed at me and and you know then it's like oh my gosh i really said that wrong and 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 i can't believe that that i did that to you and i am so you know i i just help me figure out how to possibly not jump that way again and, and move in a new direction that's healthier for both of us. Um, mm-hmm. It's, 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 it, 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 you know, if you've made a mistake, take credit for it or responsibility for it. And, 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 and if you can try to feel what it was like to have that slump exactly. action, whatever it was. And, and yeah. I sometimes, I, I have to, you know, I take a moment if, if I'm confronted well. with something like this, to try to really step back and feel and hear what happened. And, and usually a light bulb goes on and it's like, oh, you insensitive, silly person. How could you have done that? You know, because mm-hmm. I don't, I, in, in many, many cases, I don't believe the hurt was intentional. It was just, oh, yeah. you know, flipped out and, and it was irresponsible and, and they weren't looking at their words, but, it is so important to communicate, and I think without communication, relationships don't don't survive. You have to be able to communicate, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. you know it's 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 not necessarily laying your guts on the table and hoping the other person isn't going to sweep them to the floor, but but you can do this by still maintaining in individuality, and and hopefully the other person if the other person is sensitive enough to say that really hurt me. Then you have something mm-hmm. to work with because they're aware of their of their feelings. So, well, you, know, and you know, if you value and yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Bob. Well, yeah, I just well, totally it, agree with you. Yeah, it's it's, you know, if somebody is is in tune enough with their own feelings to know they've been hurt and if they put that out there, then then you should you should try to be sensitive enough to respond in a likely manner. You know, oh my God, you know I have said something inappropriate, or I've done a wrong thing, or I have in some way touched on something. You don't try to analyze them, <laughs> which many yes. people do. Well, you're just hurt because because because, and you know that that doesn't work. But the reality is, somebody was hurt, and yeah. if you can at all help that hurt to go away or, or be made lesser, then, then that's your job. You, you have uttered words or done things that, that upset someone and you don't want, and if this is more likely than not somebody that you love and you just don't want to do that to somebody you love. Yeah. You know, and I find some of the most powerful words that we can say to our partners when there's been, there's been what I call a rupture is help me understand. 
you know, help me understand what what your experience was. Help me understand yeah. what that was like for you. And to really show up in that curious and open-hearted way. Because then we just open the door so that person can really express what's going on with them. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's how we move closer to one another. That's how we build intimacy with one another. Absolutely. And it's so important. And, and I think sometimes when people are trying to debate, you know, things, it, I always, I always say, just sit, sit back and, and, and if, if I have a couple, and, and say, okay, is this something you want or is this something you need? Mm. And, and need always trumps want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, because there's a difference here. If somebody wants something, it does. It, it doesn't mean it's 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 crucial to their survival, or or their their balance within themselves. So that so that you know if, if they just want it because they want it, but if something is really a need for somebody, if they really need to do or say something is is really a struggle for them, and they de- need to do it, then then one has to step back, and and say, okay, I support you. And, and then we'll work on my wanting, <laughs> but but um, it's 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 so simple because if you can get people to go right down to what is at the crux of what the, the argument is, whether it's buying a car or not, whether it is having, you know, making dinner or going out, I mean it, it's and and you can't cheat on it. You have to, you know, I need to do this. Um, it it has to be a real genuine need. And if there is a genuine need there, it does trump the want. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that does go back and forth, too. So that, you know, but, but when you get to the bottom line of that, if two people are willing to sit and get right to the very, the very crux of what's going on, um, I have found that always the one that has the want is a little embarrassed because it seems a little selfish when the other one is really needing something to do for their own survival on an emotional mm. level. Mm. So, interesting. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, really interesting. Uh, I, I like the way that you frame that. And, you know, when, when I do couples work, one of the biggest things that I teach couples the very first session is how to do what I call open-hearted communication. And what that involves is, you know, we say if, if someone, let's say that there's a rupture and just like this just follows what we've been talking about. Say someone's feelings were hurt or something got triggered in an argument. Then the important thing is if, if someone wants to resolve it, I say if we have a rupture, we need to make a repair. And if you think about a relationship like a water pipe, if there's a rupture, we can't just ignore it because then the water, the love, the relationship continues to leak out. You know, we want to make sure that there's a repair done so all the water, all the love, all the communication connection flows smoothly. And so when we do open-hearted communication, first of all, I said, you know, the, the person that wants to have the conversation, what's important is to ask your partner, you know, I'd really like to connect with you. Is this a good time to connect? Now, and I always say use the words connect because we don't want to say, you know, can we talk 
you know, or is, it, you know is there a good time to talk? Because the minute that people say that, you know, somebody feels like someone's in trouble, you know, because the person yeah. that usually said that was our parents, right? Like, we need to have a talk. Oh, sure. And, yeah. you know, so we want to use different languaging. And so to say, you know, um, I really want to connect with you, and you could even say about the situation today, is this a good time to connect? And we want to ask that because we want our partners to show up emotionally for us and be able to be present. And if they're stressed Uh or they've had a rough day or they're just not in that place, they're not going to be able to grant us that kind of presence and connection that we're really desiring. And so I also say with couples that if someone's asking that or putting out that request, that the person that it's being asked of, if they can't meet that need right then, to give their partner, an, you know, an, a time within the next 24 hours that they can do that. Like if they come home from work and they're like, right now I'm just exhausted, I need a couple hours to decompress, let's talk after dinner, you know, uh-huh. let's connect after dinner. But just to give them a time so that the person that's requesting it doesn't feel abandoned. And then once there's a time set up, that both people agree, if we're coming together to do this connection, which we know, you know, we've said, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to connect, you know, instead of we're going to talk time, uh, then we know it means egos are left at the door. And what we've both agreed to do is drop out of our heads and into our hearts where the goal of this conversation is about understanding and connection and not about who's right or wrong. So it's a really different way of holding the conversation. And so it's really beautiful. The person that requested the conversation, I have them speak whatever's on their heart or mind with the person, I call it the sender and the receiver. So the person sending the message, the person that requested the meeting, talks about what the experience was like for them, how they felt, what was going on using I statements, you know, really sharing what their experience was, their emotions, and the receiver just holds it, doesn't interrupt, doesn't interject, again, just holding what their partner's sharing, and then being able to mirror it back to them and say, oh, so this is what I'm getting. You were saying blah, 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 blah. And when we have that kind of communication and we're being respectful then, it can, then you can go both ways. They both take turns doing this open-hearted listening, and they don't have to agree with each other. And yet I see people resolve so many conflicts this way because it's like we're on the same team. Let's figure this out together. Help me understand your experience, and I'll help you understand mine. Uh-huh. And it's just such a beautiful way to come together and things really do get resolved so much more easily. Absolutely. And you had another um, wonderful analogy that I fell in love with and I'm going to use all over the place. I will steal this one. <laughs> um, I won't steal it. I'll give you credit. Um, the the, the hail, hailstorm and the tortoise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and that's actually Harville Hendricks' old stuff, uh, who's an okay. old uh, guru, uh, relationship guru from back in the day. And uh, but I love this analogy because it truly oh, yeah. is what, you know, in, in relationships, so often we have one person that's the hailstorm and one person that's, that's the turtle. 
And uh-huh. so the hailstorm is the person who's like, I want to talk about it. I, I'm ticked right now. And so we're going to talk about this issue right this minute. And oftentimes, you know, I, I hear this in couples therapy, the, the hailstorm will follow the turtle around the house trying to continue to hail on their shell because somehow yeah. the hailstorm believes that if I just hail on the shell enough that the turtle's going to come out and talk about it. And the turtles are people who they process differently. Hailstorms are people who process out loud. They want to process through the conflict immediately. And the turtles are people that they need to go inside. You know, they need to go within their their shells, we say, think about it, process it within themselves, and then they can come back out and talk about it. And so what's interesting is that the hailstorm truly believes that if they just hail enough, the turtle will come out and it's exactly the opposite. The hailstorms have to learn how they need to back off so that then the turtle feels safe enough to come out. And that's where the two can meet in the middle. And so one of the things I I teach couples as well is this thing of when people are activated, and that means when we get triggered, when we get ticked off, that is not the time to talk about it and solve the problem. Literally, no. <laughs> if people are triggered, we know that that fight or flight center in the brain is getting triggered. And so they already are being flooded with adrenaline or cortisol. And what happens then is the signals are all going, you know, literally being shunted from the brain down into the body, into our muscles so we can fight or run. And the signals are not getting through to our prefrontal cortex, which is our executive decision maker. It's where so much of our logic, you know, self-soothing comes from. And so what I tell couples is that if you're trying to solve a problem with an activated mind, you are not in your right mind. You know, and Einstein said we we cannot solve a problem with the same mindset that got us into it. And I think, so it's so important that at a minimum, a couple take a 20-minute break. And mm-hmm. the more activated you are, the more upset you got, the longer time you need to wait. So 20 minutes or two hours, you, know, you can say to your partner, I am really feeling ticked right now. I can tell that I'm really getting angry. And so I'm going to go. Like, to give yourself an adult timeout. You know, say, I'm going to go chill for 20 minutes. And when I've, you know, kind of got this sorted out, then I can come back and re-engage and let's connect about this. Is, that, is this a good time with that, that work for you? And usually people are willing to do that um, once they get out of that hailstorm tortoise, you know, hailstorm turtle <laughs> dynamic. You know, people have to realize that they're in it. And I guess the secondary thing that's really helpful with that is for couples to have like a code word. I had a couple years ago, I loved it. When, when they would get into a situation where one of them or maybe both of them were triggered, one of them would say landmine. Like landmine, like we just hit it. And if we keep going, it's going to be dangerous. You know, that's, that's the analogy. So all yeah. they had to do was say that one word and they knew that meant, okay, let's take a time out. And then one of them could say, let's check in in an hour and see where we're at. And it was such a beautiful and incredible, you know, problem solver and 
um, just really saved their marriage. It was really, really a beautiful way to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be conscious in this moment and not try to push you into talking about something you're not ready to talk about. And let's resolve this and come back together when we can drop back down into our heart. Yeah. And do people's yeah. tendency to be either a turtle or a hailstorm, I, does that change mm-hmm. over time? I mean, sometimes, I mean, there are times that, that, that in the past I, I have definitely been a hailstorm. Um, mm-hmm. Mostly now I'm a turtle. But, mm-hmm. but there have been times where, where I have taken the time to calm down and then, and then hailed. But with a sense mm. of humor, um, mm. I, I had a situation with my son um, just recently, whom I adore and who is a fabulous person, and he um, he stepped out of line a little bit, and and mm-hmm. at first it, it upset me greatly, and then I thought how funny it was that you know. A 52-year-old man was trying to tell his 77-year-old mother how to live her life. And, you know, so (laughs) I hailed with a sense of humor. He ended up falling on the floor laughing, but the problem was solved. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. so, but but I think, I think though, it's a wonderful practice if people just take the time to call, you know, have have a code word or or to, to say, okay, Mm-hmm. This is so highly charged. Let's take a break. Let's get a diet coke, or let's go for a walk, or let's mm-hmm. you know. I don't like sleeping on something like this because n- nobody can sleep when something's really crazy. But but um, right. because then you start arguing in your head, and that doesn't work either. So right. yeah, your your idea of of a uh, timeout is is fabulous and. And I can see how it would work with every relationship if they would just take the time to recognize it was getting out of hand and, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of the bell rings and you go to your corner and you breathe for a while and then you come back a little bit calmer. Yes. Yes. And, and hopefully a lot of bit calmer, right? I mean, that's, that's the goal so that we're actually, we can respond to our partners Uh and we can respond, you know, to our children, like in your case, instead of just react. And I think it's, you know, an important distinction too, Barb, that, you know, you may have been really speaking your truth when you came back to your son, but I don't, you know, I'm not sure you were hailing on him. Um, I think it's important that we have our voice and that we really speak up in our relationships. It's not about Mm -hmm. not speaking your truth or or not saying like, yeah, it really wasn't okay with me. Um, It was really hurtful when you were trying to tell me how to live my life and, um, you know, and, and it sounds like you handled it beautifully by being able to use humor, which is such a beautiful diffuser. Oh, and, yeah. um, you know, hailing's more like when we're just talking, 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 and not giving the other person a chance, you know, and we're, we're forcing the situation, which is well, really you had a different than, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you had a wonderful example in the book, which I refer people to go to read because it, 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 it got pretty funny. Um, definitely. People should oh, read yeah. and, and... <laughs> Right. I, I just remembered the one you were talking about. Yeah. I don't want to give it away either. It's so good. 
It is so good. <laughs> One of the other things you talk about is um, finding your voice and reclaiming it. How does mm-hmm. one lose their voice and how does one reclaim it? Yeah, great question. You know, I think so often, um, like when we were talking about in the beginning how we can get these subconscious or limiting beliefs, and oftentimes we can lose our voice through like what Don Miguel Ruiz calls domestication, which Uh he says, you know, we're born as wild spirits and then we're told, you know, society tells us, don't laugh too loud, don't talk too loud. You know, if you're, when when we were children, I remember in my family, it was children were to be seen and not heard, not at my home, but at my grandparents, one of my grandparents' home. You know, kids were supposed to sit around the dinner table and not speak. And sometimes we'd be sitting at that table for an hour and a half to two hours. I mean, Uh it just, it didn't make sense. Um, And yet that was, you know, that's what was the message. And so situations like that can subconsciously, you know, start telling us that belief, that false belief that I'm not supposed to speak up, even if I have something to say. And, uh, you know, so many people I've worked with going through junior high or high school or awkward situations um, would find that they weren't able to be authentically who they were or that they felt embarrassed or shamed at times where they did speak up. I mean, there's all these different things that can take our voices away. I've worked with so many women who, unfortunately, and, and some men, I have to say, too, uh, that have been abused in relationships. And the only way that they felt they could maintain the peace was swallowing their truth. Like, if I just don't make waves, you know, and, and we know that this is a really unhealthy dynamic in relationships. But there's so, like I'm saying, there's so many different ways to lose our voice. And then when I've worked with a lot of people as they've left abusive relationships, the, the question becomes, how do I find myself now? How do I even, some people say, I don't even know what I like anymore. I don't even know what's important to me. And so... I feel like part of us finding our voice again is actually something that we may have lost a long time ago, and that's really that art of befriending ourselves. To actually, first of all, start showing up for ourselves, and we can start cultivating that relationship with us in a lot of ways. You know, we've all heard that expression, oh, just love yourself, be your own best friend. And I know from, you know, 30 years, over 30 years in the personal development and mental health field, that it's not that easy. We don't just flip a switch and love ourselves. We don't just flip a switch and we're our own best friend. But we can cultivate that. We can grow a loving relationship with ourselves and we can befriend ourselves. And so part of it starts with showing up with ourselves and making a commitment to day after day. And you can start with just, I I think when we make these smaller commitments, like, okay, for the next 21 to 30 days, I'm going to do that morning practice. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to do that 30 minutes for myself. And then every time we show up for ourselves during that time, we actually start building trust with ourselves. There's a part of us that says, wow, yeah, I really do 
have my own back. I really am taking care of me. Start building this loving relationship. And as we do that, interestingly, we also start realizing we have a little bit more of a voice. We're able to voice to others our needs, our concerns. And part of it is as we love ourselves, it really it sounds again like that cliche, but it's true. As we love ourselves, then we're better able to show up and be more authentically ourselves and love others and allow others to love us. So I yeah, would say yeah, to that's people, a, start with that small practice. And, you know, one of the things that um, I know is in all of this, because I did see it here and there, and, and it was subtly in, in, in what you, you're saying, and, and I want to sort of underline it and make it a little more obvious that when you're reinventing yourself, when you're finding yourself, when you're trying to make changes in, in, in your in rewiring your brain and finding a new direction in life, the human soul is very much like a car and if you don't fuel it, you know, you're you know, you're not gonna go any place and, and one of the ways of fueling um transformation and and change is with creativity and in in my in my mind if people aren't doing anything creative in their everyday life they're not fueling the changes that they want to to make and and Mm -hmm. creativity takes many forms you can alphabetize your cupboard you can you you don't have to be an artist or an author although that's that's a Mm -hmm. cool thing too but but mm-hmm. there are lots of, you know, you can try different forms of meditation. One of my favorite forms is, of course, the empty-headed meditation. And then if you don't even want to get into meditative meditation, do a, do a huge jigsaw puzzle. Because mm-hmm. among among other things, if you're looking for pieces of a puzzle, it, it, also, tra- it also transcends into a piece of yourself is missing. And you're finding the pieces and putting them back together so that, there's there's plenty of ways to put creativity in your life, and once you begin to fuel your life with creativity, there 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 is a forward motion. Things start to begin to happen, and mm-hmm. one of the things when people come to me and say, you know, nothing's happening, nothing's growing, and and the first thing I say is, what are you doing creatively? Well, I, yeah. I'm not doing anything creative because. You know, I had to give up my creativity when all of this crap happened. And it's, no, you don't give up creativity. You just don't. Plant a garden. Um, write letters to friends. Do I mean, there are so many ways of being creative. And the more creative you are and the more you incorporate that into your life, the more power you have to utilize these other tools, yeah. in my opinion. Yes, no, I agree. You know, and, and that's one of the things that I invite people to really think about also when we talk about these morning practices. There's something called the three C's, and it's a way to start your morning where you start with these three questions. The first one being, how can I, let's see, now I'm hooked on the create because that's one of them. So the first one is, how do I take care of myself today? And the way that we do that, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, how can I take care of myself nutritionally, exercise, heart, mind, body, you know, spirit. The second uh-huh. C being how can I connect today? 
because we're interdependent beings. We need one another. We need connection. And so really being mindful and intentional about how we are going to connect with others each day is really vital. And the third C being, just what you brought up, how can I be creative today? And just like you said, I I tell my clients that as well, is that you don't have to be an artist. You don't have to be a writer, a painter. You can actually be creative. You could create a song list of your favorite top 10 songs that make you feel happy or, you know, 10 of your all-time favorite songs that energize you. You could actually, one of the ways that we could be creative is by being just doing something differently. So if you always walk a certain way, when you walk your dog, take a different route. It carves new neural pathways in your mind. You know, it doesn't take a lot to create novelty and to be creative. And I have some adults that love adult coloring books. You know, they Uh love doing something like that, that again, it's simplistic and it puts us in flow. You know, it puts us in this altered state where our mind is more relaxed, our body's more relaxed, and it really does serve us. One of the, um, one of the fun things that I tell people to do, you know, you're not going to do it every day, but when, if you go out to eat, if restaurants ever open again, eat the meal backwards. Start with dessert. Oh, fun. And go all the way through to salad or whatever, mm-hmm. and then if you, and then you actually have more room for another dessert. So, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, 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 but, but it, it just changes everything. It, it disrupts mm-hmm. a rhythm that was a habit, and it creates something else that's fun, and everybody looks at you like you're crazy, and, you know, you just sit there and you giggle through the whole thing. So I mean, there, there's you don't have to you don't have to spend a lot of money to do this, and and frankly, you don't have to spend any money to to be creative. You know, if you do it without money, that's even more creative. So um, I I just think that that we're at a point in time here where where all of us have the opportunity to really move in new directions, and and again, it's it's reinventing yourself. And that's what that's what all of us are doing because of everything that's going mm-hmm. on in the world, and it's such an yep. exciting time. I would even say, um, I I had uh, a workshop once of of people that I was working with, and it was it was uh, a workshop on getting to know yourself, and I I created um, I think I created a group of alcoholics actually by doing it but but the the initial workshop was um i took the directions for the dvr you know and and i put them at the Mm -hmm. top of pages you know where where to put it how to connect it um how to take care of it uh you know all of the all of the different directions that were on the pages and i basically said to them this book that you're about to write is your owner's manual because everybody kind of sticks to where they were in their 20s, and it doesn't apply to the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. So what environment is best for you? What kind of foods are good for you that you like? What kind of beverages do you like? What kind of environment, what kind of TV shows, what kind of movies, what kind of books? And, and I think I had 100 
questions. And so this group of ladies had such a great time with it when they all went back to, to Florida. They kept they kept writing me and saying, we need another 100 questions. We need 100 questions. And I finally said, what are you doing? And they said, well, first of all, you know, because one of the questions were, um, please, please pardon <clears throat> the tad of cruelty, this kind of gift will get you laid, this kind of gift will put you on the sofa for a week. And, you know, just just good common sense things so they got to know themselves and each other and what they would do is work on each question, then they'd share what they had written and, and if if it was BS, they, the person was sent back to do something that was authentic. But basically their husbands were using the books. Mm. These are my favorite colors. These are These are the kind of gifts I like to get. These are you know, the kind of books I like, the kind of, you know, um, on and on and on. So so after a year, I had given them about 600 questions. And I found out they were, wow. they were having a lovely time with them, but they were sitting with bottles of wine, having a lovely afternoon, <laughs> writing the answers to these things. <laughs> I, I created a bunch of winos. But, but the <laughs> books that they created told them who they were. Mhm. And and yeah, you know, I love that. Someday I'll do the workshop again, but not with wine. But um, it <laughs> well, they're still at it for all I know. But um, you know, it, it was a wonderful way for people to understand. You know, like for instance, when I was in my twenties, my dream house was a big mansion with lots of bedrooms and lots of space and lots of everything. And when my son and my daughter, they didn't get a mansion, but they got a large house. And when I took a look at it, my only thought was, I don't want to have to clean that sucker. So my taste Mm -hmm. had changed. But a part of me hadn't realized that. You know, I no longer wanted that. But but when, you know, what is my ideal home? What what is my ideal home like? What are the things I want in my home? Um, it, It, you know, it goes on and on and on. It gets very meticulous. But but when you're starting to have to write answers to these questions, I mean, and one of my favorite ones, you know, was if you catch me doing this, call a shrink because I've lost my mind. You know, for me, that would be bungee jumping. Um, <laughs> you know, there are a whole bunch of things, you know. And and I remember at one point I had gone with somebody to um, a football game outside in the snow in an open-aired stadium and I, I sat there, and I turned around, and I looked, and, and I suddenly said to the people I was with, this is not where I need to be. I'm taking a cab. I'm going home. I'll meet you for dinner later. And Because that was one of the things. If you catch me doing this, call the shrink. And I had mm-hmm. just sort of gone along with the, with the crowd, and I realized, wait a minute, this isn't me now. I really don't – I didn't even care who played. So, you know, I was just with the group because I was with the group, but that's not where I needed to be. So, you know, defining yourself, writing things down that that are um, poignant to the moment help you to identify who you are becoming. And it's always a good thing, but it's always good to be aware of who you're becoming because, you know, you're going to go in different directions. You're going to have different philosophies, hopefully. And that's what's happening with people today. It's, you know, they, they suddenly are standing in the middle of a room someplace saying, who am I and where am I going and what am I doing? And, oh, my gosh, 
I thought my life was flowing beautifully, but now it's come to a screeching halt, and I have to restart it. And how do you jumpstart mm-hmm. it? And your mm-hmm. book is wonderful for that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you know, I, I used to have a sign in my kitchen that said, it's never too late to live happily ever after. And I really oh, yeah. believe that. I think oh, that, you know, we can reinvent ourselves at any time and at any age. And, you know, we don't have to wait to go through this midlife reevaluation. People used to call it the midlife crisis. Um, you know, I, I think that at any time we can really look at what's working in my life, what's not, and then really evaluating, like, what do I want to bring into my life? And okay. how can I start, number one, you know, I can visualize it. I can do things that help really bring it more into fruition by just taking a step towards it. You know, and that's, that's one of the things that, that I love. And I, I, I believe I wrote about it in my book. Um, one of my dear friends and mentors, Larry Bloom, who was a psychology professor here at CSU and family friend, I've known him since I was 13. Um, he was the first guest that I had on my podcast. He was my natural first guest. And one of the things he shared that I loved, and we talked about people igniting the spark within them. And he said, you know, for him, he encourages people to just think about what you've always wanted to do and try that. You know, for him, he wanted to play blues harmonica. Like he'd always wanted to play blues harmonica. And then in his 50s, he decided, okay, I'm going to take lessons. I'm going to commit to six months and just really go for it, which he did. And then what I love about this story is six months later, he realized, yeah, I'll never be able to play blues harmonica, (laughs) you know. (laughs) It was just not his thing. And what I loved about his story is that even though it wasn't his gig, it wasn't his thing, he loved just doing the lessons. He loved practicing. You know, um, it was really fun for him to explore himself in a new way. So it's like, you know, when, when people are trying new things, there's no risk. It's like if you don't oh, like yeah. it or you end up not being good at it, okay, that's all right. You can, you know, you, it, you've explored it. At least you've explored it to see, is this a fit for me? Is this something that expands my sense of self? Does this open up new doorways or new dimensions of me? So it's, it's really exciting to just allow yourself to do that. And so th- there's something that I don't like lately about the, the words, you know, bucket list, like your bucket list, like I'm going to do this before I die. Um, I like, you know, coming up with life lists, you know, like these are the lists that I'm going to help myself feel more fully alive with. You know, like with these things on this list, I'm going to explore being alive. And so whatever that would be, you know, and it's, it's one of the ways that we can brainstorm this stuff is coming up with a list. I have people write, what are 25 things I want to do? What are 25 things I want to be? And 25 things I want to have. And the have thing doesn't have to be material by any means. It can be. But sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, what we want to have is a peace of mind. What we want to oh, yeah. have, you know, is close friendships. Or one of the things I want to have, 
we might say is more love in our lives. I mean, those are the things that we can really put down on that list. And those things help us start defining, you know, number one, yeah, what's important to me? What do I want to do? And helping us to grow and expand into who we want to be. Mm-hmm. So it's really a win-win. And, and like you said, I mean, yes, it's helpful to define ourselves and to know that definition keeps evolving and keeps changing. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, you, you inspired me because when I hit the harmonica story, I have always said I want to play the piano. I've always wanted to play the mm. piano. Never, never, um, I mean, I don't have room for piano here, but I have room for a keyboard. And, mm. you know, I, I think one of the things that, that um, eventually within the next six months, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seriously sit down and, you know, start to, try to try to learn to play the piano um because it's always been in the in the back of my head i i feel like my fingers know how to play but i I mean i've sat at the piano my fingers definitely at this point do not know how to play but it (laughs) felt like they wanted to learn and and um i feel like you know, I may have done it in a past life. So the, so the harmonica story absolutely got to me. Yes, I'm going to try to do it with the piano. I'll give it six months to a year. If it doesn't work out, I'll give the keyboard to somebody who can, you know, really do something with it. But um, it, it just it was a reminder to me that I've always said that. I'm not dead yet, so I can still, you know, take the lessons and do whatever it is and see if I can something out of the uh, the ashes of my thoughts over the last 50 years that I really want to be able to play Christmas carols. Hmm. Yeah. What a great goal. So, yeah, I just, you know, I no no concert at Carnegie Hall or anything like that. Just, you know, be, be able to be able to pound something out that 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 is recognizable to to people and you know, you when you were talking about, you know, what you wanted to have in your life and stuff like that, one of the main things, almost everybody that, that, that I have come in contact with, you know, whether it's through working with them as a client or just, you know, chatting on the phone or whatever, they all want to attract love and they aren't quite sure how to do it. And, and you know, we, we talked earlier about it um, before we were on the air and I think love is something that that everyone wants in their life and mm-hmm. and i think it's a need in life as well but how do you mm-hmm. attract a person who is going to be a positive addition to your reality how do you and and how do you determine you know what you're looking for uh, i i think that's that's really important and and everybody today is looking for love usually in the wrong places mm. Well, you know, I think, uh, and, and so such such important questions. I do think that one of the things that I have clients of mine do that is actually fun and they enjoy doing it is I say to them, imagine that you are putting out a catalog order to God. You know, we used to have Sears catalog when I was a kid and we'd circle all the things we wanted for Christmas. So Mm -hmm. it's like that. It's like you write down all the attributes, all the different things, whether it's lifestyle, I mean, it can be age, activities, 
you know, interests, all those different things, physical attributes, whatever it is, you write down everything on the list. So first of all, you know, you start, you know, kind of honing in on, oh, this is what's really important to me. And then I think, secondly, um, it goes back, it circles back to what we were talking about earlier with truly learning how to befriend yourself. And uh-huh. this is important because, you know, it, I think when we show up in relationship and when it's, it's like, and if we're truly looking for love, if we're looking for someone else to make us feel happy or to make us feel whole and complete, it's, it's, it's harder, I think, to find that because we're not feeling whole and complete within ourselves. And so that's the kind of relationship where we get into relationship with somebody. There might be all these sparks at first. And then once those sparks fade away, you know, there's going to be a time when that person's not making you happy because that's just real life. Another person can't fulfill you. So if you are, if you've cultivated that relationship with you and you love you and you're showing up for you, your first love affair has to be with yourself. That's Mm -hmm. the right place to look for love. You know, once you really tap into that and you can tap into, you know, one of, and one of my techniques I have to share first about um, that I've taken from my meditation teachers and expanded is this wonderful exercise where you imagine that you are just, you go into your heart center and that you begin by just really loving the parts of yourself that are really easy to love, that are already lovable about you. And that might be the part of you that is really kind. It might be the part of you that's really a good friend. Maybe it's the way that, you know, you are friendly, you know, you greet people, or maybe you're an animal lover, the way you love nature, and you go in and you really focus on that feeling of love and loving those parts of you. And then the secondary way that I've expanded that is by imagining then that the divine is coming through, or spirit, or the universe, whatever you want to call it, is coming through, and it's helping you then to expand that sense of love and opening yourself up to the possibilities of growing in love with the other parts of yourself that maybe you don't yet love yet. And you're just saying to yourself, you know, I'm open to the possibility of growing in love with me. So I really do believe that these are like essential parts when we're saying that we're looking for love. And Mm -hmm. another thing, you know, so many times I have people in my office that are saying, I'm having repeat relationships. I keep attracting the same person into my life. And it's not a good one. You know, it's not not (laughs) a good fit. And, you know, I say that we have this unconscious honing beacon. And it really is. It's this subconscious honing beacon that it's like it lights up when we meet someone that's a match for us that matches all these unconscious things. And the way to making it conscious is really to go through this exercise where this is, again, this is Harville Hendricks stuff where he said the image that we have of who our partner should be is really what the Greek called an imago. An imago is just a Greek word for image and how Harville uses it is this collective unconscious that we have from the positive and negative attributes of our caretakers, from the worst times in our life, repeating frustrations, 
And then the best times of our life, what our unmet childhood needs were. Um, and then there's a way, you know, and, and I love doing these exercises with my coaching clients as well um, to start unearthing these things so that you start becoming conscious of, oh, my gosh, these are the ways that I have been programmed. These are the ways that my honing device has been programmed. And so if, let's say, for an example, that, you know, I had a caretaker who was always gone and always traveling and um, was emotionally distant Unfortunately, that oftentimes is locked in our subconscious mind. And so we don't even realize the person we've met is that person, but something very quickly can identify that. There's, there's this part of us that picks it up and it's like, you know, doot, 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 all of a sudden everything's, all systems go, everything's lit up because already our subconscious can detect that this person reminds us of those characteristics of one of our caretakers. Uh-huh. So they also can remind us of the wonderful parts of our caretakers, you know, so it's not all good or bad. Again, I think it's important, though, to unearth these things so that we're aware of them. And awareness is the key. As we become aware of what were the negative elements, um, then we can do things to be more aware of when we start noticing them and maybe someone that we're dating and also, I think, to go back and do, maybe there's some trauma work we need to do. Maybe there's some thought patterning work that we need to do. That we can start changing the way that this stuff is held in our brain. And also, as we cultivate this loving relationship with ourselves, we truly are changing then those frequencies that we're admitting. As we love ourselves more, we raise the expectation that other people will treat us you know, if, if we're valuing ourselves and finding ourselves worthy, we're also sending that signal out to others. So then we tend to attract people who will treat us more in that manner as well. Yeah, it's, it's you know, become the person you want to have in your life. Um, Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, Absolutely. I've, I've, I've met a lot of people that, you know, will say, I've done all the work on myself, now I want someone who is going to do the work on themselves, and and that doesn't often work. I, I, I've, I've found other people that say, well, I'm here to do healing on people and, and you know, my, my purpose is to heal other people. And, and, you know, my question usually to them is, well, have you healed yourself? No, right. I don't need healing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know a person who doesn't need healing. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, so so I, I, I think... Knowing yourself, you're absolutely right. Knowing yourself is just so important. And understanding that, that we're here to grow and, mm-hmm. and, and we're here to evolve and we're not perfect. And, you know, if we were perfect, we wouldn't be on the earth plane. We'd be somebody else. We'd be somewhere else. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, yep. you know we're, here, we're here to be imperfect. And some people are succeeding very well at that. But the point is, that we're here to work on that aspect and that quality. And and mm-hmm. um, even practitioners, you know, all of us are still working on ourselves too. So that 
you know, I, I and and then we share what we learn with other people. I mean, it's 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 a wonderful right. process, and and yet, you know, whenever I go through a workshop of of any sort with anybody, um, you know, I realize that if the person who is teaching the workshop is actually doing the exercises too, it means. You know, aha! This person understands that that no matter how many times you do this, you're going to discover something else, and yeah. it's it's an amazing process, and it's so much fun, and and you know <laughs> I think that you know it, it, is it work? Yeah, but but it's also fun because it it doesn't take long before you see the results of your efforts, and the more you see, the more you are inclined to keep going further and further and further and further. And you never stop. You just don't. Um, yeah. One of the other things that you, you, you had in the book that I thought was fascinating is growing through grief. And, mm. you know, it's not a pleasant topic, but of late, a lot of people have grief in their lives. So let's talk a little mm-hmm. bit about how, how we can grow through the grief and, and mm-hmm. use it as not only a healing but a growing process. Yes. Yeah, you know, I think one of the essential pieces with grief is that we allow ourselves to have our own grief experience, what I call our own grief journey, and that that can't be dictated by anyone else. I think we can get support. I think that's essential, you know, being in support groups or making sure you have your support people in place, whether that's friends, family, a therapist, a life coach, you know, some, whatever you need to help support you through it. And to really own and acknowledge that my grief journey is not going to look like anybody else's. You know, there's this great book called Tear Soup, and it's for kids. It's written for kids, but it's truly for everyone. It's for adults for sure. And during this book, what happens is this woman is making this soup, her tear soup, and it, she has got to keep putting ingredients in it. And people will come over and say, well, isn't the soup done yet? Aren't you done? And she's like, no, I need to keep stirring it. It's not ready yet. And people, you know, would stop being her friend or not understand why she didn't want to go places. And really the whole meaning of the book, you know, is truly about allowing ourselves to be just where we're at. And I think that's yeah. one of the ways that we do grow through grief is instead of forcing ourselves or, you know, people will say, well, God, you've been sad for six months. Get over it. You know, aren't you, aren't you over it now? Uh-huh. And and we know there's a difference between grieving and then being depressed, like having like a major depressive episode or that yeah. I'm, you know, having some kind of, you know, longitudinal depression. That's very different. But the grief process is actually something very healthy that helps. It, it's, it's like it helps heal us in a totally different way when we allow ourselves to be with our experience. And, you know, there's this mnemonic device that what we resist persists. Yeah. And so if we're resisting the grief, right, and we're shoving it down, then what starts happening is it expresses itself in other ways. And it, it can become dis-ease, disease in our bodies, you know, as, as we shove it down. And so I think that's one of the most important things with grief is being able to acknowledge it, 
owning your own journey, and then expressing to others when you can what it is that you need or want from them. Yeah, because, my, my, you know, sister, my sister recently lost her husband, and she said to me on the phone the other day, when, when does this grieving process stop? Mm. She said, and, and, I, and she said, do you know? And I said, absolutely, I can tell you when it's going to stop. And she said, when? And I said, when you're done. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, That's exactly take as long it. as you need, you know? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and 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 you know, I I I think she's working through it, so I don't think she's sinking into depression or anything like that. But but so many people, you know, they have that thing, you know, don't do anything for a year after a spouse passes or you get divorced or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's a good guideline, but that doesn't mean that that you know that that things are over. Then sometimes that tidal wave of emotion will come hitting you ten and fifteen years later, and it's just something you something else that you work through when it happens but grief is 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 a child labor when when you you birth a child is very painful but it's over with and you have something precious grief when you lose a husband or a job or whatever mm. is a painful process but but if you handle it appropriately you birth a new part of yourself when the whole thing is over that will be precious to you so that so that no matter how painful it is that pain is is birthing a new part of yourself exactly that's so beautiful yes and and and, i think that that's exactly it and and parts that we can't know and that will never uh be birthed as you are saying if we don't allow ourselves the full process and that it's not a linear process, it's one that bends in and over and through on itself. And it doesn't just go through these five stages and then we're done. So I think that's really important, you know, that you said like sometimes it will show up in a different layer 15 years later, of course. Oh yeah. Those, the, the waves Um, of, of, of grief. And, And I said to my sister, cry it out. Because you're watering mm-hmm. seeds that are going to grow, so cry. It's okay to cry. Mm-hmm. Cry it out. Yeah. And, yes. And 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 it's sort of like okay, you know, you're 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 toxing yourself when you do that. It's a healthy thing right. to do it. Try not to do it in public if you can help it. But you know, I mean, when, when I know, lost, it. but sometimes we do. Oh, it was it was really um, not funny, but it was cute. Um, I had a number of I, I I've always had pets and I lost two two or three of them within mm. a short period of time and I was absolutely showered with that beautiful Rainbow Bridge poem and um, I had my mail at the I, I got I had a mailbox at the time and I would go and I would mm. open my mail and I would burst into tears and people would say what's wrong what's wrong and I would you know show them and say you know I lost my pet and and I I. I got the people in the post office crying so often they won't let me open my mail there anymore. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I did it quite often. It was, you know, but it was just mm. I kept getting so many of those cards and that it made me cry constantly. And and it sure. still does. It's like pomp and circumstance, you know, you play pomp and mm-hmm. circumstance and I tear up. Um mm-hmm. but but you know, grief is it's a good it's a good signal to you. It's a signal that it's time to release something. 
Yeah. So, so, so don't try to shove it down and deny it. You know, experience it and go through it. And it's like labor pains. There's no way you can avoid them. So you might as well flow with them. Yeah. And, and to let people know when you need people with you and when you need that time alone and to know that it's okay, whatever it is mm-hmm. that you really need to take care of your heart and soul. And, you know, as we were talking about, you know, really allowing ourselves to have emotions and, you know, what we resist persists, it reminded me of this Rumi poem that I want to share with you and the listeners because it, to me, it's one of these beautiful, timeless poems. Rumi was this 13th century um, Sufi poet. And his poem, The Guest House, to me, it just perfectly exemplifies how important it is for us to have our emotional experience, whatever it is, and to really give ourselves permission to allow whatever is there to be there. And not be like, oh, I can't be angry or I can't be sad. I shouldn't be, you know, feeling whatever's there. So uh, if, you, if you'll give me this, this one moment to share this with you. Oh, sure. The poem is called The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house, empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Absolutely. And it's important to understand that, that, you know, the universe does send us these presents. Some Mm -hmm. of them are unique, but but we get the presents. And and if we sit with it and and understand the symbology connected to it, um, it helps to enrich our life and and make everything um, more joyful and um, joy is is such an important part of this whole process, and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's it's sort of like you know with the masks on and everything, people can't see you smiling, but your eyes will smile. But but you know I think it's important that that generate joy. We share joy. Mm-hmm. We we spread it, and sometimes. Even if you don't feel it, if you spread it, it, it starts. You start to feel it inside. It's, sometimes it takes a little bit of. It's sort of like those pumps, those old pumps we used to have in the backyard. If they hadn't been pumped in a long time, they had to be primed. And once you you kept pumping until you got the dead bugs and leaves out, and then you got the murky water. And and the more you pumped, the more you kept working at making a flow happen it finally hit the spring at the bottom of the well and you got the clear, pure, pure water out. And, and that's, that's similar with what joy is. Sometimes, you know, if, you, if, you, if it's a one, you know, you say it's a great day, I'm fabulous, I love everything, and the more you say it, even if you, even if you don't feel it at the moment, the more you say it, the more you begin to feel it. It's programming yourself. 
And the more joy you spread, the more joy you share with people, whether it's a smile, whether it's opening a door for somebody, whether it's telling somebody in the grocery store how pretty they look and then walking away knowing mm-hmm. that. You know, I, I, had, I got a, a gift for my cats once. And it was a it was a cricket, and it would you know cricket cricket, and it was at the bottom of my basket, and it was turned on, and and you know I would be driving down the the aisle, and suddenly there would be cricket cricket, and then my phone had a wolf whistle for when messages came in, and I loved I loved that I I somehow lost it off my phone, but I'm I'm going to try mm. to find it and get it gone, because you can be in. In any situation, and suddenly there's a wolf whistle, and I, I just loved having, you know, have, having people look around, and I, and I would just shrug and say, well, it wasn't for me. It must have been for you. And, you know, the, the smiles that people got on their faces, it was just so cool and such a great gift to give, and it cost me nothing. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. I, yeah. along with your Along with your grateful journey, a journal, I think, you know, what did you do to generate joy just with mm-hmm. perfect strangers? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's even better if you can do it anonymously, like my wolf whistle. But um, yes. it, it can be fun. And what it does is it increases the frequency that you're sharing with other people, and it, it it gives you greater joy too, so yeah. Um, it's it's and, and that takes me into one of the other um, thing you, things you talk about, and that's contribution, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is so important. So important, and I guess I want to dovetail too, and it will lead into contribution. Um, that you know the things that you're talking about, Barb, too putting that kindness into the world and putting that joy into the world, it doesn't cost anything. It literally is, yeah, waving to people. And even though people might not see see your smile behind your mask, they can still see when your eyes are smiling. Mm -hmm. And so to me, what's really important, you know, we hear people talk about being leaders. I was talking to a client about this the other day and saying, you know, because, you know, one of the things he was defining is, you know, becoming a leader. And I said, you know, part of becoming a leader is that you begin to lead in engagements. You begin to lead in conversations, not just if you're in a boardroom. It's taking the lead to take that step towards someone to greet them, to be kind, like you said, to say a few kind words. And it makes the difference of someone else's day and yours. So you can be that lead person and change someone's entire day. So I think that's powerful, and I think that's really important. And that does become a part of this contribution that we're talking about. Um, When I have people work on what we were talking about earlier, where they identify the limiting beliefs and come up with their affirmation action plan, the last part of that, you know, is having them come up with how then if they had, all, you know, met all these goals, what then could they contribute back to the world? Because I do think, you know, it's, it's much like the film that I have that's going to be coming out, which is called When Sparks Ignite. 
it talks about the challenges that we go through and how those challenges can then become the match point within us that ignites something that becomes our gift to humanity. And this is true when we think about how we can contribute. So we can contribute in the smallest of ways by random acts of kindness, because mm-hmm. that does, that, that is one of those pebbles where we start seeing, you know, the pebble in the pond and the concentric circles of kindness radiate out from that. I can't tell you how, I mean, I've had so many times where I've been in a coffee line going through the drive-through and the person ahead of me bought my coffee. And so I bought the person's coffee ahead of that was <laughs> behind me and just hoping that that chain continued. So, uh-huh. you know, those are small contributions, but they matter. When that happens to me, it changes the course of my day. It makes me feel so happy and just so touched. And so we can do that for other people as well. And, you know, contribution, so it doesn't have to be monetary. It can literally be in the currency of kindness. Oh, yeah. It can be, you know, absolutely. And it can also be how do we want to make a difference? It could be within our family. It could be within our community. And, you know, literally, I can tell you, this just touched my heart so much. A couple of years ago, my grandson, who's eight now, he was five at the time. And we were walking around my neighborhood, and he's just picking up trash the whole entire way. By the time we got back to the house, he had both of his pants pockets absolutely stuffed. His coat pockets were just full to the rim. And they they call me TT. And he says, TT, you know what? Every day is Earth Day. And I thought that was so sweet. It was so precious that he just had this awareness because it wasn't Earth Day, but he must have learned that in kindergarten that they had Earth Day. And and so he thought that's what he wanted to do every day is pick up trash as he saw it. And I just thought, what a beautiful contribution to have that loving, open heart. So that's really where it starts, Barb. You know, and and as we contribute, we get, we get that good feeling back multiplied. Oh yeah, and and you know it's it's um, a long time ago. I I went to a convention of some sort, and um, <clears throat> I was doing something that was unique and unusual. And they said, "Do you want to charge for it?" And I said, "No, let me just play. Let me just work out the kinks in what I'm doing." And and so I spent the entire week just giving away the stuff. The 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 service that I was rendering and the last day of the um, of the conference I suddenly had all of these presents on my table and one of the other vendors said did you buy all that I said no I don't know where they came from and and apparently it was people that I had given my services to had just come and left a gift for me on my table and I wasn't expecting anything like that and one of the other guys said did you know that was going to happen and I said heck no but but it it if it is done in the purest sense of the form it does bring stuff back to you not always immediately like that but it does come back to you what you send out in unconditional love comes back to you as unconditional love mm-hmm and and it's it's a matter of 
making sure you are not putting anticipation and conditions on it. It's, it's like, I mean, you know, love in and of itself is is wonderful, but it can't be used as a bargaining chip. It has to be unconditional. Mm. Right. You know, the minute yeah. the minute you turn it into a bargaining chip, you know, then you then you then then you diminish it. You know, you you can't mm-hmm. wipe it out, but but you can you can take away a little bit of its luster here and there. Um, I did want you to talk about your um, random act of kindness group because I think that's that's a wonderful thing, and every community should have it. Yeah, you know, and that group has really evolved. Um, but what was beautiful, I, I'm actually now uh, have expanded, and, and that group is a different group, which is more of a, a mastermind group looking at how to contribute on a global level. Mm-hmm. Um, but the group that originated, that ran for three years, um, that just kind of changed when COVID all hit was this random acts of kindness group that was so beautiful. Uh, We had 12 women in it to begin with. And every woman in there took turns facilitating the meeting. And so they would bring different activities where we were truly growing together, really some soul searching or, heart opening activities, whether it was meditation and journaling and really amazing group questions. It was just a phenomenal time of growth. And then one of the special parts of the meeting is that everyone brought $20 every session or every group meeting. And that's, you know, it's not a lot. It wasn't a large amount of money. But what was beautiful is whoever was facilitating the meeting, they got to decide then what charity that we would send the money to that month. And they would come and speak to the group about it. Uh-huh. And so it really became, and you know, we, we could donate it anonymously. There were some really, just really beautiful ways of gifting people throughout the community. Um, one of them was when, when it was my month for the Random Acts of Kindness It was for actually a couple that I'd had on my radio show and actually the, the title ironically of that show was growing through grief because they had lost their 19 year old daughter to a single car accident because she wasn't wearing her seatbelt. And out of their grief, out of their extreme experience had come up with this organization, this nonprofit called Alexa's Hugs which were these bands that people could put on their seatbelt as reminders to buckle up. And Mm -hmm. while it was, you know, it might sound simplistic, they have taken that all over the world. Um, They've done all these school assemblies all over the nation and just helped raise awareness of safety and car safety. And so we gave the money to them to help spread their message. One month we gave it to a gentleman who had just lost his 32-year-old wife and was trying to cope with two young children by himself. Um, It became just a beautiful way of gifting people in the community. And And also just such a wonderful reminder of how we can do those random acts of kindness on a daily basis. They can be as simple as letting somebody in on traffic 
letting uh-huh. somebody in the coffee line in front of you. And like we talked about, they can be these very simplistic greetings or gestures or a comment. And the ripple effect is beautiful and huge and so worthy. So I feel like those kind of groups are groups that we're going to see popping up more and more um, as a way that we can continue to work. I think we have to work on how do we focus on what we have most alike instead of the divisiveness that's been so much a part of our modern culture right now. So how do we create more cohesiveness? How do we create more connection? And contribution is one of the beautiful ways that we do just that. Oh, yeah. And, and like you said, it's, it's fun. I mean, if, 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 if you're in a gloomy place, and it's a if it's a gloomy day, it's it's the way you pull yourself out of it is making people smile, and mm-hmm. and and it's so easy. It is just it's unbelievable, and it it changes the way you approach people. The more you the more you work with this whole process, it's 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 just phenomenal, and it. It, I, I think it, it creates a greater genuineness in you as a person when you, when you realize that, that when you put a smile on somebody's face, you have achieved something amazing. It's, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you don't have to say anything, really. It's, it's just it changes their day and it brightens them and that reflects back on you so that you are ready to raring to go to create another smile because it feels so good. Um, and and, and it, it's sort of like just how bright can I get today? Um, it's, it's fun. It makes, it makes and, and today, there's not a lot of fun out there, but, you know, you can create it. You can, you can make it happen and you can spread it. And, and as you said, like mm-hmm. the ripples, you know, it, ripples can become ripples can become swells that can become waves mm. that can become tsunamis. Mm-hmm. You just never know where a smile can create a wave of happiness and joy. Absolutely. And, and, and it does happen. It's, um, I've seen it happen over and over and over again. It's changed my life. And, and I have... I don't have a lot of money to spare, but but I got a lot of smiles, and and it's um and I and I think you know when when you share happily, I have been blessed with a sense of humor so that I can share laughter easily too, which is it, it was a great gift to whoever blessed me with it. I can't figure out mm-hmm. which it was my mother and my father because neither of them had a real sense of humor, so it probably skipped a generation or two, but. Um, stand-up comedy is not something I'm going for, but um, it's it's sort of like you know if you can find laughter, you can find hope. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and if you can if you can give hope to someone and chuckle, I, I've always mm-hmm. known that that, that that if I was passing on some sort of wisdom in teaching a group or whatever, if I could get them laughing. I knew that that seed had been planted and would grow. 
mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it was planted with laughter and love. So, so you know, we've talked about a lot of things tonight that people can do that don't cost any money. And mm-hmm. and I think that's really important for people to understand in these times when money is short and it's probably going to get shorter. Um, you know, there there are such creative ways that we can not only rebuild ourselves and redefine ourselves and reinvent ourselves, but we can do it with love and with light and with laughter. And certainly yeah. that's what your your book tells says and and it it helps people understand that even in times of grief, even in times of sadness, there's there's an element of growth that is going on that's really important that you experience and and the universe never gives you more than you can handle. Now, I question that sometimes, but, you know, I've always survived, so I would assume it's true. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes, what, what was it? I think it was, it's a, it's a quote from Mother Teresa. I know that God never gives me more than I can handle. I just wish he didn't have such confidence in me. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, exactly. Well, and to speak to your thing of, you know, creating more joy and more happiness in our lives, and and we've given so many ideas of things that are free. You know, that's that's one of the things I have been so aware of during this pandemic, and that my partner, my boyfriend, and I that that's been one of the biggest joys is literally times where we've just turned up the music, danced in the kitchen jumped on the trampoline, you know, in the backyard or <laughs> laid out and watched the stars. And I mean, and he has got such an awesome sense of humor and he was a stand-up comedian. So um, he, uh, you know, I mean, we, we just laugh a lot together and find the humor in sometimes the absurd and sometimes, you know, the challenges that we face. And those are the things that, that give us hope and spark up our lives. And so we, we can create out of the small moments in our life a lot of joy and a lot of oh, happiness geez. and how important it is to play and to be out in nature and to just soak in all the beauty around us that we can. Those things are what will change your day in an instant as you take inventory of them. And you allow and wanna, yourself to just let go to those moments. Oh, absolutely. And I want to go back to the laughter part because, in my opinion, laughter is one of the strongest healing modalities out there. Yes. It, it, it gets all sorts of wonderful juices flowing, and it gives you hope. And when you have hope, then there's healing. And, and you know, it's it's... Um, there's there's a story of, and I don't know how true it is, but there is a woman who literally cured herself of cancer by laughing her way to it. And yeah, I've um, heard that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been out there for a long time, so I have to assume that it's it's it, there is an element of truth to it. It's it's if you are full of laughter and joy, anything is possible. Mm-hmm. And and and. You know, can can you can you keep the grim reaper at bay? I'm not sure, but but I can say that that it it it, it increases the light that you cast on everyone around you. So you're you're mm-hmm. giving a, a sense of joy and and light to them as well. 
just noticed the time. We have talked our way through two hours. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Well, and, it, and you know, what you're saying too quickly reminds me of the saying that the shortest distance between two people is a smile. And I would yes. venture to say the shorter difference between two people is shared laughter. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So the importance and- of, of letting ourselves connect with others and smile and letting our hearts be light so we can share that laughter with one another. Oh, absolutely. I know when um, I did serve in the pulpit for five years and I, I did learn that if I could get the congregation laughing, I knew mm. that my point had been taken. I knew that mm-hmm. they, they, would, they would leave with some, some wisdom and, and it's far better than putting everybody to sleep, which which I did the first time I did a sermon. I even took a nap myself. <laughs> so, yeah, it was not my it, it was not my voice. I found my voice and and from then on, of course I forgot to take collection, but for, you know, that's beside the point. But but um it's it's laughter and joy is so important, but I want to thank yeah. you so much. I want to remember everybody out there that she can be found at stephaniejames.world and the book we've been talking about is The Spark, Igniting Your Best Life. And Stephanie, I want to thank you so much. This has been such fun. Oh, this has been awesome. Thank you so much, Barb. Really wonderful spending my evening with you. Well, I, I want to thank you again, and I want to thank everybody for listening. I so appreciate it all. This will be up on YouTube and uh, and on Rumble. So subscribe or volunteer or whatever because that's the only way we know that you're listening to the show we greatly appreciate it have a good night and don't forget to tune in tomorrow night for market for mark eddie's show good night now